0: just a king you are more than everything so much more
1: Good morning. Why don't you guys get up on your feet. Let's find somebody and tell them hello. this morning.
2: Well, good morning, Carpenter's Way. I'm way over here. Oh, come on, it's Thanksgiving week. Say it better than that. That's ah, all right. That's all right for a court hearing. We are so glad to have you here this morning. It is wonderful this morning. Busy day. We got agape feast this week, and we'll talk more about that in a little while. But we got a lot of people that are here today we haven't seen in a while. The Jacksons are here, and and uh, good to have them back. And and uh, Josh and Allie Ferguson are here, and, and, and others. College kids back. So welcome home, everybody. We hope we can encourage you being here today. But uh, as we start this morning, I want to introduce you to somebody. Some of you may recognize Jack. Sometimes he carries a weapon around this place. Uh, he's one of our security guys, and and he and his wife uh, uh, started coming. How long have you guys been coming to Carpenter's Way? Sarah and you, and uh, tell us about your family. This is our oldest daughter, Abigail. We have
0: Emily, who is two. It's right there.
2: Are you asking your family if she's two? Well, I, I the, see. Did you guys notice that? I don't, I don't know <laughs> if the one I'm looking at is Emily, or it's hard to see past the... There she is. You don't Bye. recognize her now. No, I just can't see her. Hi, <laughs> not <laughs> So Abigail has been asking for a while to be baptized, right, Mm -hmm. Abigail? And uh, Abigail, you have accepted Jesus into your heart, right? Right. Right. Can you say hi to everybody, Abigail? Hi. Let me give you uh, some background on baptism as we understand it from scripture, Uh, baptism doesn't save you, it actually is your opportunity to say, look, I belong to Jesus, and uh, so one of the first questions we ask when children or adults want to be baptized is tell us about your relationship with the Lord, because this doesn't make your relationship, it proclaims that you want God to own you, and uh, for those of you, we have had uh, several dozen of these over the last couple of months, people being baptized. And we always make it clear, some are adults, uh, some are children, but we never push this. Uh, and the reason is, is because this is a personal response to what God is already doing. And that's what Abigail had asked uh, if, if she could be baptized. Anything you wanna to add to that, Jack? No, sir. Seriously? Seriously. You can't stop talking outside of the baptism, is... This is her day, not yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, Jack, it's my birthday Wednesday, show some love. Oh, I will preach twice as long this morning. Um, uh, I, was, I was just going to mention that one of the reasons we love to have fathers who are walking with Jesus baptize their kids, because scripturally they're the, they're the pastors of their household. So it involves a conversation that we have, mm-hmm. asking if, uh, if you're walking with God and you know the Lord. And if they are, it is our privilege. It's, my, it's Jeff and my privilege to stand aside and let a dad baptize his kid. The reason is. Is because ultimately this reminds him that he's going to shepherd spiritually his little girl, and it reminds her that her daddy is her spiritual leader until he hands her off to some man when she's 44, right? So, uh, with that, I'm going to, Jack. I'm going to allow you to baptize your daughter. <coughs> hold on, hold on. <laughs> Abby, by your profession of faith, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jack's father, Mike, is going to come up and pray, and Mike, I've known you for what, seven, eight years? Yes, sir. Well, it is great to have you with us this morning, and an honor to have you pray for your son and your family.
0: Heavenly Father, thank you for being here with us and with us always. Thank you for seeking us and drawing us to you to have a relationship. And Lord, with Abigail, I pray that you put a desire in her heart to make that relationship the most important thing in our life. And hopefully we'll follow that example. And Lord, thank you for loving us and seeking us in your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
2: Again, for those of you who didn't know Jack, that's Jack and Sherry and their kids, and now you know them. So uh, we have an Operation Christmas Child video. Sarah. Sarah, like I said, Sarah. (laughs) No, you wrote it down, somebody wrote it down wrong.
0: I believe it is made
3: Makala jazakum makarama
0: wa man jawida
3: Did a don't see the end of the book The number of the land team and these men is a goody moon, goody. Pretty nagging is a goody. We now be challenge. We are the champions. <laughs> we the champions. <laughs> we are the champions. We are the the I to it to for and we are going to are good. to in with my parents because my deaf dogs loved myself too... a lot day... If you work as I to a special gift for you. You're
0: right. Maybe
3: we send this to our we to An enemy, Zabudi. I mean, the bank as I found as now than Gansau, you
2: And, and that's actually what Operation Christmas Child is. It's not just a philanthropic organization that gives gifts to children. It opens the door for the gospel. Uh, I have, as you, as you know, I've had the opportunity to go on a distribution in Panama on several of them and uh, to actually watch the children. They don't let them open them. They open them one at a time ton- or all together. Uh, they count to three. They open it. And uh, the gospel's presented. They're given a booklet. They open up and they read the stories of people in the United States and, and Europe. I mean, all over the globe, people are giving these gifts. I, I think I heard that they expect $12 million, um, this year. And uh, it is such a privilege to be a part of it, you guys. Um, people, especially tomorrow, uh, groups that have been collecting in small cities and communities all throughout our area, We'll be delivering those crates to us starting in the morning, and it'll go until about 6.30 tomorrow afternoon when we will finish loading up those two uh, semi-trailers you see out in, in front of the church. And then on Wednesday morning, the uh, truck will come and pick them up and take them on to Dallas. And then and then in Dallas, each and every one of them get opened, and they make sure that everything that is going to these countries is legal, and then they send it across the globe. Uh, when they get into country, you saw them carrying them by a donkey um, uh, up, up a hill. Uh, each place that has a distribution has to have a pastor. Uh, and and look, it could be a home church. It can be a guy who meets under trees. But they connect with these guys, and, and they train them on how to follow up in discipleship, at which time each child that gets a gift, the gospel is presented to their family, and then uh, for the next 11 weeks they're invited to come back and learn about what's called the greatest journey, and that's walking with God. It is a phenomenal organization. Uh, it is not uh, caught in controversy. They just, they just present the gospel and minister to people all over the globe. This is a part of Samaritan's Purse, and you may see them uh, if you watch the news. Greta Van Sestern is very involved with them, but Franklin Graham oversees this ministry. It is a phenomenal organization. So thank you for being involved. If tomorrow you have some time, Where's Robert? Robert, what time do we actually open in the morning? Do we start? So 10 o'clock and – all right, so what Robert just said is we'll start at 10 and we'll pretty much go straight through till 6.30, right, 6.30 or 7.00. And you can come up at any time, if you even if you haven't signed up, come to help. Uh, if you can't lift boxes, Robert said, we're going to want people to be praying over this for the people that will be receiving them. So come participate for an hour, for four hours, whatever you've got tomorrow. Come on. Uh, we'd love to have you. And uh, it has been exciting this week to see different organizations volunteer and help. Yesterday we had the high school, Lovkin High School's National Honor Society, and then Friday we had junior, the Junior High National Honor Society. So it, it's, been, it's been just an amazing week of ministry, and, and thank you for being involved. There is still time. We'll still be collecting boxes. So if you have not uh, done that yet, uh, you can uh, go over to Hobby Lobby, and they actually have the little plastic boxes if you want one, or you can grab one as you leave, and uh, we'll be collecting until. But we will only be collecting the boxes until about 6 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, so make sure you get it here before then, right? Okay, a little before that. So make 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 sure they're here by five if you can, and and uh, yeah, we have to lock up the trailers and all. So uh, so that's Operation Christmas Child. In your worship guide, you have a little uh, card uh, put in your Bible or put on your table to, to pray for these as they as they go across the globe. Um, I want to mention also some up in the. There's an insert in here about upcoming holiday events, and uh, want to highlight we have. Uh, Some this week, National Honor Society, the first thing, or National Collection Week ends tomorrow. Uh, And then Tuesday night at 6.30 right here, we have what we call the Agape Feast. It is our church-wide, one-time-a-year potluck, and y'all are invited, whether you're Carpenters Way family or just visiting with us. But basically, we ask you to bring two side dishes or a dessert or just two of something that you can share to eat. And uh, that, that entryway will be full of food, and it is good, and it is really bad for you, but it's worth it. What a way to go. But that is Tuesday night. It is a really fun evening. Uh, We get out of here uh, about 8 o'clock or 8.15 or so, and uh, it's just a wonderful thing to be a part of, so plan on joining us for that if you can. A couple other things I want to highlight. Each time of the year, uh, the elders, uh, by way of our personnel team, do a love offering for the staff to let them know how much we appreciate them. If you'd like to be a part of that, that's above and beyond your normal giving information is in there about that. The only other thing that I want to mention this morning, and we'll start advertising all the other things uh, that we have coming up over Christmas holiday after, or next Sunday, but uh, this morning to set up for Agape Feast, immediately following this service, if we could get some guys to help, we never do it the way it's supposed to be done, and I get yelled at by, so I don't want to mention Steve Hicks' name, but he's very, he runs this place. Having said that, how we're going to do this today is we want to pick up all of these chairs and stack them six high and then put them against the wall and then we'll put those tables out, and then we'll take these chairs and start putting them around the table, and we'll be more tables out. You Get the math? All four of you who always do it right nodded. Thank you. But uh, it'll, it'll take us about 10 minutes. If you're willing to help, guys, we would certainly appreciate it. Please do not hurt yourselves. Uh, but this is our family. This is our living room. And we need you to help rearrange it for our big old feast. So that'll be immediately following the service. Um, so uh, I think that does it for all the announcement. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward at this time. If you, uh, if you are visiting with us today, we're awfully glad to have you here. Um, we want you to participate in every part of, part of our service except for this, um, our offering. This is for those of us who attend here regularly. We have committed to the budget. Uh, what this money does is it goes global to do mission work uh, in here. And then in the States, we have like 14 or 15 missionaries we support. Josh and Allie Ferguson, where are you guys? Good. I thought maybe you went down the street to a different church for this part, but uh, Josh and Ali, you got to stand up because that's what churches do for missionaries. They are on our mission team and our monthly support. Uh, they work in Chicago with naval recruits. And uh, anything you want to add? And what? And sailors. And, then they, uh, and so when people come through, they minister to them. And one of our own is going to be coming through this next year. You found out about that? Get her. Disciple her. So, But anyway, thank you, guys. It's good to see you. Love on them after the service. and We're glad to have them with us this morning. Let's pray and uh, commit the service to the Lord. Father, we love you. We're thankful for loving us. And, and Father, for uh, all the pieces that happened during the holidays. Uh, it's just like in our families. Father, it's such an exciting time. Uh, such a wonderful time, and uh, we have people come home we haven't seen for a while, and lots of exciting chaos and lots of it, it, just, just wonderful things. And we thank you for those who are here this morning visiting. We thank you for friends that are coming back. We thank you for, uh, for those who are able to be here. We pray for our men and women that are out hunting that you would keep them safe. And uh, I just pray that you would bless our time today, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing, um, Before sing. you guys can go ahead and take the offering. You'll notice that uh, Chad has a shirt on. It says, I'm adopted. And that's something you're going to tell them about? Yeah. Cool.
1: Yeah. Um, so yeah, Mark let the, the cat out of the bag last week. Uh, <laughs> uh, we are in the process of adopting again. We uh, Two weeks ago, I think we sent in the money. Oh yeah. <laughs> we sent in our first check and paperwork and all that stuff. So uh, the ball is rolling. Um, so we have come up with the, actually we didn't, Teresa gets all the credit, she totally came up with all this by herself, uh, basically a shirt, and it says, I am adopted, and it has the, uh, the verse Ephesians 1 through 5. So let me just read that, uh, we read this all the time, pretty much every Sunday this seems to come up, but let me just refresh you of what it says. Uh, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So the idea behind the shirt is obviously we're raising funds to help, you know, pay for the adoption. But at the same time, um, as you're wearing your shirt out and about, uh, it's kind of a reminder of who you are. Hopefully, people may ask you about the shirt and ask you, you know, what does that mean? And maybe we get an opportunity to kind of just share with them our adoption story. And uh, if you want to be involved, you can catch me or Teresa after service. Uh, you can go to Collective Studios' Facebook page. Um, you can sign up on there. We've put a couple links up on there, too. So uh, if you want to get involved, you can. Great. If not, um, just just pray for us. Um, wear your shirt and uh, just spread the message, you know, that we're adopted. This is bigger than we, uh, I think it's bigger than any of us actually thought when we got into this. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cool. It's amazing that we've been adopted by a God who made all of this. And uh, we're his. And uh, as we go through this process, that's our hope and our prayer is that you get the opportunity to kind of spread that to the people that you meet in the community. Cool. All right, so with that said, we're going to worship. You guys all know this song. If you want to stand and sing, you can.
4: Oh, The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand.
0: God, you need...
2: Let's just take a moment and thank him for that. Father, thank you that you are worthy. Thank you that there's nobody like you. Thank you that you as the King of kings and Lord of lords would want a relationship with us, Father. Thank you for that. So as we open your word now and as the kids go and you uh, open your word to them, I pray that you would teach us some more about yourself and just how in love with us you are. In Jesus' name, amen. It's uh, time for GPS and as you see kids coming up, if you're visiting with us, uh, and you have a child through fifth grade. It usually just goes through third grade, but uh, we're preparing for our family Christmas service the week before Christmas, and they're going to do some music for us. They're working on that during this hour and studying the Word in, at their level. So uh, if you'd like, you can actually go sit in with them, or you can watch or meet the people and, and uh, just grab your kid and go on, or they can stay in here. They're welcome to stay in here as well. So um, our dad, our, our daddy, is a God of order according to 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Not only did our dad speak all that we have, all that we are, all that we walk on into existence, creating order out of chaos, God created order among the nations by establishing kings, scripture says. Over this political season, a lot of us have been throwing verses around about how God establishes kings on their thrones, clearly what scripture says. But the reason he established kings on their thrones isn't just, um, well, for whatever political reason you'd like to throw that out, but actually the reason is because God is not a God of chaos. Satan is the father of chaos. In chaos, nothing absolute reigns. And throughout all of history, God has been the absolute. Truth and absolute does reign in the person of Jehovah God. And that's our daddy. Everything he touches is orderly. Our daddy's model for kingdoms and nations is that within those kingdoms and nations, families would exist. And in those families, God established leaderships, mommies and daddies. It's not complicated. It may be traditional and it may be offensive to some for whatever reason in our society today, but it doesn't change the fact that that's how he did it, bringing order out of chaos, not just on the surface of the earth, but on the kingdoms of the earth, in the communities in the earth, and also in in our families on the earth, He brings order out of chaos. Um, this is our Daddy's model for how He does things in an orderly fashion. In fact, a much overlooked part of how even we got saved in Romans chapter ten, verse nine says, "If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is what Lord, Lord. that's order." We kind of run by that. Oh, that's another name for God. It, it's almost like Lord has become much like Christ. You know, Jesus Christ is not his last name. The word Christ means Messiah, it means the one promised, it means the Savior. Jesus' last name is not Christ, it's Jesus, son of Joseph, man of Nazareth. That's his last name. I know that sounds funny, but people didn't have a last name back then. You were identified in your family, you were identified by your location. But Christ isn't his last name, that's his identity. And in the same way, Jesus is Lord, is not his last name, it's his identity. And that was part of how you get saved, if you, conf- if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, ruler, in charge of all things and in all places, the final judge. At the very core of our crying out to God to be saved or forgiven of our sin, and be accepted by him, is the understanding that he's the only one who can save us. I'd like to add to that, he's the only one who wants to. There is not a God in the universe ever created in the thought of man that actually wants to save you. You have to be good enough or work hard enough or earn enough in order to even get his attention. That's why in Islam, when you do a pilgrimage, many very conservative Muslims cut themselves. That's why even some radical um, cult-like Christians cut themselves. They're trying to appease God to show him how sincere they are. When in reality, God came seeking a relationship for them to save them from their sinful condition. I think too many people simply uh, want to not have to pay for their sin without any real relationship with the forgiver. It's almost like people get saved at VBS at five years of age and say, thanks for that, see you when I die. It's kind of the unspoken rule of modern Christendom. I fear that in an effort to draw the lost in, there are many times even in the church when we try to either water down or completely ignore the fact that part of being saved is realizing that you have violated a non-negotiable law of the king of kings. Sin. We, we want to do everything in our presentation of the gospel not to talk about sin because people might get offended with sin. Forgetting the fact that sin offends God. And, and I just just a side note, a little Side issue, sidebar here. If you don't deal with God, there's no salvation. You're just religious. We've got to remember that. This is not about you and your view of the church. This is not about the world's view of the church. This is not about the church's rhetoric. This is not about how the church feels about whatever issue drives you crazy. This is about you, solo, individual, you and God. That's what this is about. This has only been ever about you and God, and we're losing that as we try to make the church politically correct, or whatever you want to call it. As we try to get people to buy into what we believe, we're forgetting the core of our belief, which is God is trying to make in your life order out of chaos. Sin is chaotic. It removes absolutes. It makes whatever feels good right. And the problem with that is even if you convince yourself and your culture that that's how it is, the problem is, is 10 seconds after you die, you face a God who is not moved by society, by cultural norms. You face a God who is a judge, and a God who isn't judging based upon a set of rules he established, but who he actually is. God is not truthful, he is truth. It's not like, if I say Barbara Haley tells the truth, does that mean she never lies? No. I mean, I don't think she lies very much. Probably not. Uh, Only twice this week. But the, the, the fact is, to say that Barbara Haley is predominantly truthful does not mean she never misses the truth. But to say that Jehovah God is truth means he never misses. God is not a benevolent judge. That puts him as an adjective on a character of a noun. The fact is that he is the judge. He is the rule. He is the absolute. And we're forgetting that sometimes. That's the problem with mankind. The problem is that you have to be saved from something that you are, otherwise you're not saved. God is the judge and you will stand before him. Wow, some of you're going, "Wow, I sound like a Baptist there, preacher." If I sound like a Baptist, it's only because in that venue we're right on this. That's what scripture teaches. But the good news or the gospel, gospel is the Greek word for good news. Did you, you knew that. But I want you to start. I would rather we never say gospel again and just say good news, because the world doesn't understand it. Have I got good news for you? <laughs> That's what this is. Have I got good news for you? You can even say it like that. It sounds cartoonish. Have I got a deal for you? I mean, it's what it is. All right, what's that deal? You're a mess. I know. And I'm telling you, God wants to make order out of your mess, and he sent his son to do that. That's good news. That's good news, because guess what? You don't have to do almost anything to get it. I'll explain that in a minute. The good news, or the gospel, is that God offers you forgiveness despite your rebellion and your rejection of him if you will simply humble yourself enough to admit you have violated him and that you will accept his gift of mercy, realizing that he is Lord over all things, including your eternity. That's how you get saved. The good news is, well, 1 John 1, 1.8. If we claim to have no sin... We are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Bill, could you go back to that one? I want you to look at it again. If we claim to have no sin, we are on the verge, even in the church, of kind of acting like that. Oh, God loves you as you are. That's true, but it doesn't mean that as you are is not sinful and in trouble. Just because God loves you as you are does not mean you're not in trouble. I mean, I love lots of people that I can't help. They don't want to help. God loves you as you are. That's a true statement. But you are also under condemnation. Remember that Jesus wept over Jerusalem after they rejected him. He wept over them. Not because he didn't want to save them, but because they rejected him as their Messiah. They just wanted him to be their king. They wanted food. They wanted their own nation. They wanted health care. All the stuff that everybody longs for today. Dear God, make me healthy. Dear God, make me rich. Dear God, make me this. And God going, first and foremost, I didn't come to make you any of those things. I came to make you my kid. And we have to remember to make you his kid, he has to actually deal with the law. And he did that through Jesus. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, that's a big word. We're gonna start talking about it more. Confess our sins. That's acknowledging that he's the judge He's got an established rule of acceptability and we violated it. That's why Romans 10, if you cl- confess that he's Lord publicly, that's why you confess his Lord. Not so that you go, oh, you're so much better than me. That's not the point. The point is, I'm in trouble with your line of authority. This is what's missing today in our culture, in our Christian American culture, is that we keep thinking. I think on the campaign trail, one of the political figures said that the day is coming when the Catholic Church will accept homosexual marriage. The problem is that you've got to understand that if the Catholic Church still believes that the Bible is the final authority, then, then you can't change that. And even if the Catholic Church and the Evangelical Church and you and I decide that homosexual marriage is okay, it doesn't change God's mind on it at all. And what we keep thinking is, we are now, our culture is now attributing, and this this has come together, stick with me, but the church is now attributing cultural norms to the church and, and calling us bigots if in fact we don't Adapt to those cultural norms. When we go through 1 Timothy right now, you're going to learn that God's order for the church is sometimes countercultural, like everything else He taught. You realize the love of God is countercultural? You can't think of one agape love relationship in your life like God's love for you. Even as a parent, I love my kids, but there is a line if they cry, cross that really ticks me off. And they're going to have to work themselves back into my good graces. Oh, you're a lousy dad. Maybe, but you're just as bad. You know what I'm talking about. The fact is that God's love is unconditional. It is constantly pleading, and he chases us all the time. There's nothing like it. There's no relationship. Your wife doesn't love you as much as God loves you. Your husband doesn't love you as much as God loves you. It's hard to even fathom the love of God because there's nothing like it. The government doesn't love you as much as God loves you. Is, anything else, is anybody else kind of going crazy by you don't love our community? It's the government. I don't want them to love me. Just protect me so I can do my deal. It's a weird time in history. where, where And I want you to notice this. What's happening in our culture is they want to replace God and the local church, the family of God, with the government. That's really the agenda. Why? Because it's Satan's agenda. So are you saying the government's Satan? Sure. It's a wonderful tool. It is. It divides us. It makes us hate each other. We scream at each other. We don't agree on it. If you get five Republicans in the room, you have 25 different opinions. If you get five Democrats in the room, it's more like 36, but it's okay because you have, never mind. The the fact is that we cannot depend on them to do God's thing for us. You cannot depend on government to make your sin acceptable. Even if they do make it acceptable, you still have a God to deal with. Are you following me? And we have to understand that when we face God, before salvation, we are facing a God who has a line of acceptability that every one of us have crossed, whether it's homosexuality or lying or cheating or stealing or gluttony or whatever like we're gonna experience on Tuesday night. Whatever it is your sin is, whatever it is you do or have done or are, That can't be crossed no matter how kind you are and how benevolent you are to the church and how many people like you in the church or how many people hate you. The fact is that there's a problem between humanity and God. That's why he sent his son. He is faithful. If we confess that sin, if we say, God, I've blown it. I know I need you. I know I need your mercy. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all of our wickedness. That's unbelievable. All includes past, present, and future. All wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Culture. Social changes in how society views morality. Right and wrong. How people feel about themselves. None of these things change what sin is because sin is not violating people or society. Sin is falling short of God's standard. You with me? And, and, and look, it's really easy out there to forget that because that's, you know, you watch a movie. It is amazing to me how many movies we watch in our family and it's a romantic movie. And at the end of the movie, I, you know, you want the couple together and it's so wonderful to be together. And it closes and Julie's crying and I'm eating popcorn and I want another bowl. And we're sitting there, we're watching and it's like, oh, what a good movie. Except for the fact that they're living in sin. They both left the previous spouse, but it was darn romantic. I mean, you walk out of the theater kind of going, I paid $10 to just watch something that totally violates God's laws. Uh, so are you saying no movies? I'm just saying realize you live in a world that is constantly romantically pulling you into a mindset that is anti-God. So you are saying don't go to movies. No, I'm not. I'm just saying keep your head about you. Keep your head about you. Realize that this culture, this citizenship is not your citizenship anymore. You've been adopted out of it. you were redeemed out of it. Culture and society and morality norms may change, but God's standards, this is not between each other. This is not between me and the government. It's not even between you and I. It's between me and God. And even if all of you decide I'm a righteous guy, doesn't make me righteous because it's between me and God. Why? Because Romans 3.23 says, for everyone's sin, we all have fallen short of God's standard. You know, there are certain words, leave that up there for a second, Bill. There are certain words that throw us off in the church because we grew up in it, and you look at that glorious standard. I want you to understand that if you remove that adjective, that's really a better statement, not saying that Paul was wrong in writing it, but but in our brains, in our King James uh, VBS upbringing, we, we lose the statement. We go, what is God's glorious standard? It's just his standard. Glorious is how Paul is describing it. It's a glorious standard. It's just a standard. Well, what is God's standard? Sinlessness. Uh-oh. uh-oh. Well, how can I do that? You can't. With man, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's the ultimate setup. What is your standard, God? More than you can imagine. Well... Um, I've kept the Ten Commandments, and I've done everything you asked me since childhood. What else must I do, teacher? Sell all you have and give to the poor? What? Why that? Because you acknowledge that I'm God? You acknowledge that my Father is God? And you ask me what you have to do to save yourself? Give it all up. And you know what would have happened had he done that? He'd have come back and said, okay, I kept the Ten Commandments. I sold everything I had. And now I've given it to the poor. Am I in yet? And he says, one more thing. You're proud of yourself. That's a problem. And then he would have left weeping bitterly. And the disciples would have asked the same question. If that guy can't get saved, who can get saved? And Jesus will respond with that statement that we have on every teen athlete in the Bible Belt shirt with man it's impossible, with God all things are possible. Please put me down on the record that I hate seeing that shirt running down the street. You know why? Because it ain't about physical health, it's about spiritual health. And every time we reduce it, it's a beautiful verse, it's impossible to save yourself. It's not about getting physically healthy or running a marathon, it's about being redeemed when you don't deserve it. It's about being forgiven by the one who's gonna judge you. It's about being, actually putting your pen- penalty on Jesus who didn't deserve it so that you could get what you don't deserve. With man, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. This is never about how we feel about people or treat people or whether or not the church is nice to sinners. Salvation has always been about an individual's relationship with God. To the lost, and I want to say this to you if you're watching on the internet or if you're in this room, let me be clear to you. If you do not know Jesus Christ, then what the church does is none of your stinking business. It's just a distraction that Satan is using to keep you from dealing with God. The church is silly. I called Sarah, Shelly, twice this morning. I have it written down. Sarah, I know the family. Jack and I have had lunch together a few times. But when I have 42 things going on and I'm 50 years old on Wednesday, buy me presents. You know what? I lose my head. I forget stuff. My mind goes to what I associate. Some of you have experienced that. I've known you for years, and I'll walk up to you and say, how are you, Frank? It's Dave. Okay. Okay, Larry. Good to talk to you. (laughs) It doesn't matter whether I've offended you or you've offended each other. At the end of the day, you can walk away upset or offended, but the reality is, have you dealt with God? Have you dealt with God? If you haven't, then don't worry about how backward the church is her view on homosexuality, her view on sin. Well, I don't want to join a group that believes that. Then don't. It has nothing to do with us. Walk with God. Find out what God says about it because at the end of the day, we will be dead and stand before him too. And the only thing you need to worry about is are you right with God? Because you have violated, whether you want to admit it or not, the creator's laws. You are going to be punished for that. But that same creator wants to be right with you more than you want to be right with him. That's what's crazy about this story. He does not want to have to punish you. So, John three sixteen, He loves you so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish or be punished or be judged but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world. How crazy is that? He should have. He should have walked around like Zeus, zapping people. The problem is there'd be none of us left, except maybe me. Me and Sarah, that's all. She gets it because I called her the wrong name. God, we, he should have, he should have been walking. That's how we view God. Oh, you're going to get yours. Christians even say that sometimes. Just wait till they see God, like we're celebrating that. He did not send Jesus into the world to judge the world, but actually to save or forgive the world through him. Merry Christmas, my friends. For 33 years, he wandered around the world talking to folks. I'm the way. You know, that's become a doctrinal argument. I am the way, the truth. It wasn't like that. I'm the way. You guys are asking about how to be right with my dad. He sent me to tell you that I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. Nobody can get there except through me. And too many people, instead of going, well, how do I get to know you, go, I don't like that. I don't like that doctrine. I'm going to Buddha who doesn't decide right and wrong okay you can do that all day but it doesn't make you right with God it's silly it's like a 10 year old who decides to move out of their home because their mom won't let him eat a cookie it doesn't solve your problem it's like I don't know being in the middle of a city and being mad at the president-elect and burning your own city down it's insanity I have an idea because I don't like the church I think I'll hate God too well guess what Ten seconds after you die, you're going to face him, and and I didn't like the church. is not going to be an argument for your sinfulness. Run to him. Hello. Jesus struggled with the synagogue too. Paul struggled with the church. Get over it. We're all just figuring this stuff out. Run to him. According to God's word, you're a sinner. You have violated his laws, and you therefore will face a judge and be punished. But he sent Jesus to take your place. That's why he was killed. Christmas is just Christmas. It's a great holiday about the birth of Christ, but it really, you need to understand that without Easter, it's, it's, just, it's just a birth. I mean, everybody in this room was born. I was born 50 years ago Wednesday. <laughs> I was telling the guys this morning, the problem with being 50 is when you're 30 and you die in a car accident, it's like he was so young. At 40, it's like, wow, he wasn't careful when he drove. At 50, it's like, well, he lived a pretty good life. I mean, I know he was still kind of young. <laughs> At 60, it's like, oh, 60. Yeah, as kids were growing up. At 70, it's like, wow, wow. You really, you really made it a long way, didn't you? <laughs> At 80, it's like, some of you are like, shut up, Mark. Didn't say I was perfect, walk with God. I mean, the reality is it's just life, you know? And we keep thinking if we grade it on a curve with each other, it'll just work out because God wouldn't send everybody to hell. That's a problem. God doesn't send anybody to hell. Let me be clear. People are going to hell. He saves folks. That's the misunderstanding. How could a loving God send people to hell? A loving God didn't. He put us in a garden, let us be naked, enjoy the fruit, take care of it. There were no weeds. It was the perfect life until we decided we wanted the fruit we couldn't eat. Isn't that life? wonder what it'd be like to be with that. Guys, don't do that. You don't want to do that. Yes, you do. And you do. And then it all falls apart. So God wrote his son into history. To put it back together. Order out of chaos. Salvation is order out of chaos. It's a loving order. And God offers it to all of us. So if you confess that He is Lord, my friend, and that Jesus came to take your sin and will accept, and you will accept His offer to save you through His own death on the cross, you will be saved and immediately adopted into His family. Now the church becomes your business. Adopted, like Chad was talking about this morning. And in case you're wondering, if any of you who are a member of Carpenter's Way want to adopt a kid, we will let you sell shirts or little trinkets or whatever to raise the money because it is very expensive. You, you want to know the moral brokenness of this culture? It's less than a thousand bucks to kill a baby, but tens of thousands to adopt a baby. How sick are we? So in case somebody's wondering what what policy is being set, if if you're a member of our church and you want to adopt a baby, we will do everything in our power to let people know you need money. It would be a wonderful check to write to Chad and his wife. Actually, don't write it to Chad. He'll spend it on TVs and stuff. Give it to Teresa. (laughs) And if you're part of our church and you are walking with God and you want to adopt a baby, that's the ultimate pro-life move. Is it not, friends? Is it not? God loves you you guys. And if you don't know him today, don't run to the church, run to Jesus. What do I do? Accept him. Call on his name, tell him you know he's the judge and you'd rather not be judged. So you accept Jesus as payment for your sins. And you will then be adopted into his family. Now pay attention here, everybody else, because what I just said sets up for some important stuff that's missing from a lot of our doctrinal thinking. You know, doctrine. It's not salvation. It's truths that we often forget. If you have been forgiven of your sin and saved, then at that second you were also adopted into God's family. Remember uh, how we started by saying our dad is a God of order. Well, this is his order, the local church, part of the universal church. The church is God's family on earth. It's where we gather the purpose of the church is clearly seen throughout scripture and it's not talked about enough and I'm going to keep talking about it, especially in this study. That's what this study is. It's not business. It's personal. Hebrews chapter 10 actually tells us let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. So, so this is his first instruction the author of Hebrews. Hold tightly to that which we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. That's the second thing. So together as a church as the body We don't waver from the truths, the gospel, the good news. Second of all, we think of ways to motivate each other to acts of love and and good works. And then, third, and verse 25, let us not neglect getting together. Now, I realize that that's easy now, you know, in our culture because we're so trans. And and you know many of us grew up and we were at church every night of the week and so now it's kind of like well I you know I think I'm too tired today and, and I get all that and it doesn't make you unsaved not to go to church but the fact is if you understand the purpose of the church the value of our gathering goes up it's not to evangelize we've been talking about that it's to actually do what this passage says to make sure we're staying on hope on message to make sure that we're encouraging each other and for uh, with acts of love and good deeds keep going keep ministering thirdly not by not. In neglecting we can encourage each other um, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near as things get weirder out there and they will get weirder and the thoughts even if we have a season of peace and success in our country in some ways that makes it more dangerous to say on message because we're not so worried we can let down our hair a little bit and the problem is that as we do that we forget the main point of the message we forget, we forget, uh, we start watering down the truth. We stop asking people to repent of their sin because that's kind of offensive, and maybe we can love them into the kingdom. And here's the deal at some point, people have to realize they're a sinner or they won't confess their sins, and God can't be faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. Confession that's the one work of salvation you do. Confession. It is. It's a, it's a, if, if you want to call it a work, it's not baptism that saves you or speaking in tongues. It's confessing. I realize you're Lord. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize you're the only one who can save me. Man, I'm putting my trust in you. I confess you as the only one. That's, if that's a work, that's your work. Salvation is through faith alone. Please notice that, that faith is a work. It's an act. But, but if all you're trying to do is get out of hell, I just strap a fire extinguisher to your body and go through life because that's not enough. You have to realize you're a sinner and that he's the Lord and going to judge you and redeem you. And sometimes we, it's, it's, it's kind of guilt rendering so we, we walk away from that truth. The church was not invented to change, okay, get this, be careful, the church was not invented by God to change the world. It was actually invented to keep us in line doctrinally, to motivate each other to fulfill God's given tasks for us as individuals, to encourage each other. Because it's hard out there being messengers of reconciliation with God. This gathering thing we do is actually about us. It's centered on God, but it's actually about us. God's kingdom of kids, not not the lost. Because we need to remind each other who our daddy is. I tried to get them to put on the back of the shirt, who's your daddy? They told me that wasn't appropriate. I still think it's epic. Adopted. Who's your daddy? I love it. That's a great question. You're going to get slapped by some, but it's still a good question because who your daddy is basically determines where you're going to spend eternity. Who's your dad? Where do you run to for security? Your girlfriend? Your boyfriend? The bottle? Church? If church is your daddy, you're still going to hell just a little bit more moral. If God is your daddy, you go home. You go home. The, the gathering we do is, is about us, God's king, kingdom of kids so that we can remind each other who our daddy is and what he's about and what his message is. God's designed order is beautiful because it, come, it, it, it takes us out of chaos. Look at the order he created. I've already told you, he created order out of chaos in creation. And if you're wondering, do I believe in a literal creation? Absolutely, Of course I do. So was it over a period of seven literal 24-hour days, or was it over a season or millions of years? I don't really care. I assure you when he spoke it into existence, there was a big bang, okay? And after that, there was life. I think you could make the case for it's half and half, you know, because the calendar comes in action about middle week. But do we really, Do that's such a satanic distraction. He did it spoken into existence. By the way, you know one of the Hebrew words for speaking out of nothing? Abracadabra. I'm trying to get Zach to tattoo that right here. But he hates needles. Ironically enough, as a diabetic, the big baby. Abracadabra. It's a Hebrew word that means spoken out of nothing. He abracadabra all of this out of chaos. Read it, it actually says that. Order out of chaos. And then out of that he created nations, a family. And out of that he created nations. And out of that he created communities and then families again and then here we are. The church is the same way. Some people like to say, well, how come a monkey is so much like a human and their DNA and all that? Well, because it had a common creator. You know, if God actually is in charge of all things, then it would make logical sense that the same order he put out there in the world, he would have in the church. It makes total sense. Why? Common creator, common designer, common person to think it up. That's our God. And so the church is a family. He calls it a family. And our purpose is clear in Ephesians chapter 4. I know I share this with you all the time, but you've got to understand, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, and I'm going to add for order. There's apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ, kind of like, well, under shepherds we call them, or minor parents what they do this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith the knowledge of god's son that we will be mature in the lord measuring up to the full and complete standard of christ then we will be no longer immature like children we won't be tossed uh, and blown about by every wind of new teaching we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth instead we will speak the truth in love growing in every way more and more like christ who is the head of his body the church he makes the whole body fit perfectly together order out of chaos and as each, part does its, uh, as each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. As we've been talking about for the past few weeks, the reality is we are God's gifts to each other while we wait to go home to be with our daddy physically. We are gifts to each other. You're a gift to the person in front of you or behind you. That's your role here. Your role here isn't to come give or get, it's to Give. And many, many of the struggles that those of us who grew up in the church, the the congregational meetings, the infighting, was not about how can I serve you more, but why don't you serve me more? I deserve this kind of music. I deserve this kind of color. I deserve this kind of place to worship. We deserve this temperature. We we get angry because we're not getting what we're deserving. The church is no longer a a community of, of, of brothers and sisters. It's of consumers and sellers. It's become a business, not personal, and it's very personal. You know, pastors fail. You saw me fail twice this morning with a name. So compensate for it. That's what we do. Pastors are silly little creatures, and so are flocks. You know, a lot of you don't want to be involved in ministry because it'll cause accountability. There's even some of you don't want to get baptized because people will be looking at me, and then I'm accountable. I didn't know you weren't accountable anyway. You see, this isn't a place you come to eat. You come to feed. We gather to take care of each other, to encourage each other to keep going with our task, to pray for each other, to make sure we never leave the gospel. That's why this has to be about us and not them. Because if it's about them, we can talk about how screwed up they are. You ever wonder why the church's rhetoric on adultery and immorality in society is so so foaming? Because it's easier for me to attack somebody that I don't agree with. It's easier for me to go after them. But the real issues aren't out there. They're in here. The real issues, because if we come together as a family who understands that our daddy is God, the judge and the forgiver, and we spur one another on to love and good deeds, and we stay on message, guess what? We go out there to tell them they can join us. Not Carpenter's Way Church, but the family of God through a God who's so gracious, you don't have to work your way into his good graces. He wants you. He's chasing you. He desires you. In Islam, you have to prove your faithfulness to get 70 virgins. In Christianity, God proves his faithfulness to you by giving his son. And you don't get 70 virgins. You are a joint heir with all of heaven. It's better than that. No eye has seen and no ear has heard what God has awaiting those who love him and serve him and walk with him. That's why we meet, to remind each other, it's almost over, you're 50, you're not halfway, you're like three quarters cooked. (laughs) It's to remind each other when you're diagnosed with cancer that even though you're scared, it gets better from here. To remind each other that when you don't have enough money to do what you want to do or do what you think you need to do, God has more money than you could possibly imagine and he's given you what he wants you to have for what he has for you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. It's a family whose daddy is God. Order out of chaos. We're God's gift to each other, and while we wait to go home to be with our daddy physically, we take care of each other. Because things are getting kind of weird down here, and at times it's easy for any one of us, teacher and flock alike, to lose sight of why we are here, what our message is, and what our task is about. This is why Paul wrote or sent Timothy to Thessalonica. This study we started in Thessalonians because he was freaking out that the people in Thessalonica who are obviously enduring difficulty would leave a message, would start watering down the truth. So he sent Timothy to say, hey, how you doing? Encourage them, but also to bring a report back to see how they were doing. And when Timothy returns to Paul, Paul says, I found out that you were staying faithful to God and that blew him away. One of the few churches in the New Testament that remained faithful. And he's blown away. It's not long after that that Paul takes Timothy with him and they're traveling and then they go into a place called Ephesus where they minister and people get saved like crazy and they leave. But later, a church is planted and Paul wants Timothy to pastor that church and gives it structure. So he sends young Pastor Timothy back to them to develop and design a church just like we have here, just like Carpenter's Way 22 years ago. That's why we're here. God designed to plant this for a particular purpose and a particular reason in a particular time, in a particular place, because he's our dad. And so Paul writes this letter to Timothy that we're going to be in now. He says this to Timothy at the beginning of Timothy chapter one, verses one and two. This letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior and Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in the faith. May God the Father and, G- and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Although this is a pretty standard greeting for Paul to make at the beginning of a New Testament letter, there is one line in here that I think is really important that if you're not careful, you read over. And that is, my true son in the faith. That one particular line. Because in that is a lot of information. <clears throat> I want to remind you that this letter is not written to you and I, it's written for us. It's written from Paul to Timothy, his son in the faith, who's pastoring, and he's away from, and he's trying to write him and encourage him, because he hears the dude's having stomach problems. And for those of you who don't understand why Paul would tell Timothy to take a little wine for his stomach later, because it advocates drinking, it's because he was freaking out. It was for medicinal purposes, and he wanted him to chill. A simple reading of the letter tells you that. He's not, he doesn't know how to deal with the older men. He doesn't know how to deal with the older women. He doesn't know how to deal with the infighting. How do I structure leadership? I don't have enough time to pray and minister. How do I do all that? And that's what First and 2 Timothy are about. And in the midst of all that, he is a panicky little preacher. He's about this tall and he's about 13. That's funny. That's not true. You didn't laugh at that. Okay, we'll keep moving. The, the, he's young. He's freaking out, and Paul writes this letter to encourage him, but he wants to start by reminding him that you're my son in the faith. Now, the reality is, we believe that maybe Paul led Timothy to Christ, but, Paul, or, or, but Timothy had a mother and a grandmother who were godly. So they may have led him to Christ, but it was Paul that discipled him. If you recall, at one point, Paul takes Timothy with him, and they start traveling together. And as they're traveling, Paul starts giving Timothy ministry opportunities. He starts developing him, a true son in the faith, You see, um, when Paul meets Timothy and he starts nurturing him, he decided that this was a young man who who God was calling into leadership. One of the jobs of the church is to bring all to maturity in Christ and then identify and bring some into leadership in God's family. That's one of the callings of the church because evangelism predominantly takes place outside of the walls. People can get saved in here, but if we're about growing each other up to maturity, one of the things church leaders do is they identify those that God is calling into ministry. Josh Ferguson, if he were in the room right now, I would have him stand up. Josh Ferguson, if you were in the room, that's what it looks like. Forgive me. That's what it looks like. Just stay there. That's what the church does. Not all of you, stay standing, you're my my illustration this morning, so glad you're here. But I want you to understand that not every one of you, no matter how much it's been preached to you, is called to full-time ministry. Actually, that's not true. Every one of you is called to full-time ministry. But only some of you have been called to vocational ministry. And Josh Ferguson and Allie spent four years at Moody Bible Institute and more years being discipled for what he now does through Campus Crusade for Christ and we support. The reality is that Josh started training for this at what age? Go way back, dude. Huh? Sixteen years ago, when did you start interning at Carpenter's Way? 18, I think. Weren't you in high school still? I think he was sixteen years old when he started discipling. (laughs) You can sit down. But the reality is that, that that Josh was walking with God and wanted to do more and Jeff identified that and I think Justin did it first and they started bringing him into leadership. Uh, I think it's fair to say that Josh is responsible basically for ripping out our old that old uh, workforce center which is now the youth room. I mean that's what Justin had him do which by the way, that's part of interning. Josh would come here in the morning and every day he would go down to that room and for six or eight hours he would just rip out old stuff. That was a terrible job for him to do, but is that not what interns do? And over that time, Justin and then Jeff started identifying more of his musical ability. He became obsessed with guitar. He started playing and then he started teaching. And it was a result of that that he eventually ended up at Moody Bible Institute because no matter what anybody tells you, it's really, really important if you're young that you have formal theological training. You know why? Because the church doesn't do a very good job getting you down into the nitty gritty. Because part of taking time away from the local church is putting you in an incubator where you're a little bit safe. So you can learn every theology, whether it's whacked out or good, and then find out uh, what's solid biblical evidence. And that's what Josh and Allie had done all those years. They weren't wasting time. They were there learning truth, learning to separate truth from fiction, learning to understand the word of God, learning to decide it. Because even though at this time in their ministry, they're evangelizing and discipleship, the truth is that they got to know truth that they never talk about so that they can see when people start heading down the wrong path. Does that make sense? See, part of the church's job is absolutely for sure to bring all of you to maturity, which is why I preach verse by verse. But it is also also incumbent upon Alicia, Jeff, and myself, and Chad, and Robert, to make sure that we're identifying those that God has called into into potential vocational ministry. And in case you're wondering how, if Josh is the only one, he's not. To some degree, we were able to do that with Tori Alverson, Zach Wilkie, Hayden Havard is now leading worship. He's going to be leading worship with us next week. Do I think Hayden's going to be in full-time ministry? That's not for me to say. But this is a kid who walks with God. How about that, Hayden? Now it's on your shoulders to be faithful. <laughs> I mean, it, the, the fact is, we have young men and young women. We've got other young men right now. We've got a, fo- a 15-year-old young man that may be being called into ministry. So we're starting to bring him into, him into uh, internship. You know why? Because Carpenter's Way isn't just to reach the lost. It's to encourage actually the saved like little Abigail. So little Abigail, how old is Abby? Five years old? So Abigail's five years old. Abigail doesn't understand all the nuances of Christianity. Abigail hasn't discovered some of the temptations of a 16-year-old girl, but she will. But for a five-year-old girl to say, my life belongs to God, now, instead of watching this family and going, boy, I sure screwed up their kids, we pray for them. And we come, uh, we come uh, alongside of Sarah and Jack, and we help them. Now, you and I all know that that's not the tradition of the church. The tradition of the church is we stand back and go, Ooh. you know, I, some of our families have adopted older kids. And it's difficult when you're 40-something to be raising an infant. Isn't it, John A.? That's right. <laughs> and it's easy to go, well, I'll tell you what their hair looks alike, but John A. looks tired. Then offer to take the kid or pray for John A. Or bring her lunch Because Jeff feeds everybody else in the community but her. (laughs) The the, the fact is, the the fact is we're here together in this. And we, we come together and we encourage each other so we can go out there and do what we're called to do. That make sense? And I think, opinion, Mark's opinion, Satan has distracted us with the gospel. Satan has got us again to evaluate by an altar call, and some of you ask why you don't have an altar call. This is why. Because it becomes a distraction in the church service. Well, how do people get saved? I assure you, if somebody knows they need savior, they're going to find a way. And by the way, I'm always sitting up here. Well, you want to make it easy. No, I don't. It's not easy. It's humiliating to get saved. If you are waiting for easy when salvation and free isn't easy enough, keep looking. You have to acknowledge you're a sinner. You have to acknowledge that you're willing to repent and do it God's way. Well, I I don't like that. Then don't do it. Go find Buddha. He doesn't ask anything of you. Ask, uh, who's the golfer? Tiger Woods, who had 21 affairs on his wife. There's no right and wrong, right? Unless you're his wife. You you know that Buddha is the yin-yang thing. There's better and bad, but there's no good and bad. So we just kind of work it out. You know, if you're a bad person, bad things happen to you. If you're a good person, good things happen to you. (laughs) That's funny. I know a lot of good people who have bad things happen to them. And I assure you it's worse than coming back as a rat. You can be the child of God if you're an adulterer, thief, or homosexual. But you have to acknowledge that gluttony is a sin. You have to acknowledge you're a sinner before a righteous God and salvation comes through confession. And then he applies his grace to you and then your sin is removed. Now we can deal with walking with him. That's what the church does. So let me take you to the beginning. God creates order out of chaos and in society a bunch of Christians running around independently are chaotic. But a bunch of Christians coming together on a regular basis knowing what our message is, what our task is and why we're here. That is not chaotic. That is our God's tradition and he brings us chaos out of chaos into order. The problem is the church is now rebelling against order, which is why we're going to go through First and 2 Timothy. Some of you will be very surprised to find that it clearly says that women shouldn't be elders. Well, that's sexist. Take it up with the Creator God. It's not my problem. I'm going to follow it because I am accountable to Him. But it doesn't mean you can't be shepherds. Ask Alicia, who's one of the best I've ever met, or Beth Moore. Phenomenal theologians, pouring their life into it. I see what you did there. You didn't call her pastor. You call her shepherd. Then call her a pastor if you want. But she's not an elder. She serves underneath the elder council. More on that later. But the truth is, my wife is a phenomenal shepherd. Phenomenal. I've seen her do amazing ministry. As good as any pastor. In fact, let me add that she's probably better than I've ever been on my best day because she has a way of listening to people's hearts and counseling them. We have to understand that God has brought order out of chaos, and we have to buy into it if we're going to make it for what's coming next. And it is coming next. If we're going to make it while this becomes Donald Trump's, <laughs> they're going to all have orange hair before this is done. And I promise you, if you start suntanning like him, that is not a hip look, and we will tell you. <laughs> but I just want you to know, for those of you who breathed a sigh of relief because he won the election, I assure you that sin will still reign in this, this society because Donald Trump is not a pastor. He's a president, and whether he does a good job or a bad job, the fact is he is not bringing people to Jesus Christ. We are, so we've got to remember what that looks like, so we're going to keep gathering, okay? And we're going to learn what this means. We're going to keep going. In 1 Timothy 1, 3, and 4, and then I'm going to end with this. When I left for Macedonia, I urged you to stay there in Ephesus and stop those whose teaching is contrary to the truth. Just like today, huh? Timothy, you get there, and you shut those those false teachers down. Don't let them waste their time. And then he's talking about the flock. Don't let them waste their time with endless discussions of myth and spiritual pedigrees. Well, my family has been followers of Jesus Christ back to when Jesus was on earth. Pastor, it's nice to meet you. I'm a charter member of this church. Of which church? Are you 2,300 years old? Which church are you a charter member of? It's not pedigrees. And I want to add, having grown up under Tim LaHaye, I can say this. It's not even about a pre-tribulation rapture. My apologies to those of us who still believe that. It ain't about that. It's about reminding each other that he hasn't raptured us yet or he hasn't come back for the second coming, whatever you believe. So stay on task and get out there and do your thing. I'm tired. Then stay in here. Come to Agape Feast. We're going to have two stupid secular movies at Christmas time, And that's, those are spiritual events. We're going to watch the two most spiritual movies ever made for Christmas, White Christmas and A Christmas Story. Do you know why we're doing that? Because sometimes you got to just enjoy each other. you got to have a family party. And that's what these three events are, the Agape Feast, which ironically is right after we're done with Operation Christmas Child. And if you haven't served yet, why not? You need to show up for an hour tomorrow. Not because we need you, but you need to be there. It's like being on a mission trip for an hour. You need to be with other believers and just do it. Oh, they're hurting for people. No, we're not. We got this covered. Robert has done a phenomenal job. But I assure you, you need to participate in this thing. If all you do is come sit, you're 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 not getting into it. This is important. It was so important that it's one of the three things God gave us to help us while we're still here. He gave us the Word of God. He gave us the Holy Spirit. And he gave us each other. And in the church today, we value the word of God. And of course, we pray to the Holy Spirit. But we have undervalued this. We have. So over the coming months, we're going to just build upon what we talk about every week. And we're going to keep learning what is this anyway. So that we can do it right. I am honored to do this with you. And I'm here to tell you that I keep learning that I've done it wrong a lot. A lot. But I'm also here to tell you that I'm teachable and I want to learn it with you. At the center of all of this though is a passage that keeps the ruler in the middle of the room in every gathering. Because we all have different perspectives and that is 2 Timothy 3. Look at this. You must remain faithful Timothy to the things you have been taught. You know they're true for, they, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what's right. At the center of everything we do is not Mark Wilkie. It's not Kip Havard, the chairman of the elders. It's not our missionaries like Josh and Allie. It's the word of God. So you worship the word of God? No. We worship the one who breathed it into life. But it's what we got. It's our ruler. And you can disagree with us as long as you have the scriptures behind you within context. That's the bottom line. That sets the pace for what's going to happen next. Let's close in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. And thank you for the family of God. And as we finish some intense ministry tomorrow and we party Tuesday night, it is my prayer, Lord Jesus, the joy of the season will overflow into the lives of our neighbors and friends as we come in contact with them. And I pray we'll have a good time too. You instructed us through Solomon and Ecclesiastes 8 to eat and drink and have fun because the work of the Lord is hard. So we're going to commit ourselves to some fun this season. In Jesus' name, amen. If uh, we can get some help, We need to set up for agape. Those chairs need to be stacked six high and against the wall, and then we can put the tables out